the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Hannah prays that if God will end her barrenness and grant her a child, she will give him back to God to serve him his whole life. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8. Beverly and I have a joke in our marriage. Anytime she's in tears over something, I put my arm around her, and the first thing I say is, Honey, am I not better to thee than ten sons? That's always a bit of an icebreaker, because... We know, she knows I do not mean that and how absurd it would be to give that kind of counsel or comfort or whatever this guy thinks he's trying to do. He's saying, isn't our relationship a good enough reason to smile every day, even though this is hard for you? I don't think Elkin is a jerk. I don't think he's a narcissist. I don't think that's what's going on here. It does appear that these two people have a special friendship, a special relationship. But even if his words are accurate, they are incredibly insensitive, especially since it's his decision that put them in this mess. Listen, if you're here and you're married, you're a husband, all right? Let me give you some advice. Ministering to your wife has nothing to do with convincing her of your unassailable logic. The sooner you learn that, the happier you will be. And the more effective you can be to actually serving your wife in some way, shape, or form. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, it gives clear instructions to husbands. And technically, if we want to be the most honest about the context here, it's when your wife isn't doing well spiritually. Because that's the advice given to the wife earlier on is, hey, ladies, if you have a husband who's not walking with the Lord... It doesn't say he's not saved. It says he's not being obedient to the word. That's the context here. So it seems natural that when we get down to likewise you husbands, that the context is still, well, if you have a wife who's not really doing well spiritually. So this is not for when she's doing well spiritually. This is when she's not doing well spiritually. How are you supposed to deal with them? It says dwell with them. King James says according to knowledge, it means Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor unto the wife, placing high value upon her as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. 
And finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one on another, loving like brethren, being pitiful, which means merciful, and being courteous, which means being nice. What does it mean to be understanding or to dwell with understanding with your bride, men? Well, are you compassionate? What does it mean to be compassionate? The word simply means to show kindness to someone when they have a need. That's all it means. It's compassion. It means you look over and you see somebody, they have a need. It doesn't matter why they have the need. It doesn't matter whether they're in the mess they're in because they made dumb decisions. It means your heart is moved to kindness regardless of anything else. And you just want to help. Is that your heart towards your wife? Or you're sitting there thinking to yourself, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be in this mess if you didn't. Are you being compassionate? Do you stick by her side even when it doesn't make sense to you? That's what a brother does, right? That's what it says. It says, love like brethren. My brothers, when we were growing up, we'd fist fight each other all the time. We'd scrap about everything. But man, don't you mess with one of them. You mess with one of them, you're going to get it from me. That's my brother. Yeah, but you were just telling him off. I can. He's my brother. You can't. Because I love him. And I'll stick by his side, even though I think he's a knucklehead. That's what we're supposed to do as spouses, as husbands for our wives. It doesn't have to make sense to you. Are you courteous? Are you nice? And ever so important, do you let her know you're going to get through this thing together? It's probably the best thing I can always say to my wife is I'll grab hold of her hand and I'll look her in the eye and I say, listen, we are going to get through this together. I'm not going anywhere. I'm on your side and we're going to get through this together. She needs that far more than she needs your answers to her problems, even if you're correct. Now, wives, what do you do if you don't have a husband like that? Well, you do the same thing Hannah did. She didn't have a husband like that. You take it to the Lord. Look at verse 9, 1 Samuel chapter 1. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. They, not her. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. That's a bad translation there because there was no temple at this time. This word temple here in the Hebrew actually just means worship complex. When the tabernacle became a semi-permanent setup at Shiloh, when Israel came into the land, it was still a tent, but they turned it into more of a semi-permanent setup. And so additions were made. Instead of a curtain for an entrance, a gate was set up, and it had pillars there. And Eli sat on a throne, a big, huge chair, in front of the gate to oversee everyone who came to worship. He didn't handle their offerings. That's what his sons did. But he was in the front there where the gate was. And so Hannah rose up after they had eaten, after they had finished celebrating, and Eli's sitting out there on a seat by the entrance, by the gate of this complex, this semi-permanent setup of the tent of the tabernacle. Hannah cannot go inside the tabernacle. The closest she can get to the Lord, his presence there, is to come right up to the tent that encircles the outside of the tabernacle. It is very likely that Hannah looked similar at this point in time to the women at the Wailing Wall today. I remember my first time at the Wailing Wall. You can't go onto the women's side if you're a man. You can only go on the man's side. But if you go into the rabbi tunnels, many of the women are in there. They like to go there because it's actually 
physically closer to where the Holy of Holies would have been. And so you go into the tunnels and it's just filled with women in there and they are just, their faces are right up against the stone, the wall, and they are just weeping. They're crying, they're praying, they're bobbing back and forth. They've got their scriptures in front of them, but their face is right up against the wall, basically trying to get as close as possible to the presence of God as they pray through their tears. And that is very likely what Hannah is doing here. For it says in verse 10 that she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. The word there, bitterness of soul, that phrase, it means deep anguish, deep despair. When you're in despair, it means you see no way out of your pain. You have no hope. So she is there and she just has no hope. She's right up against the tent there and it says she weeps sore. Literally in the Hebrew, it means she cried and she cried and she cried and she cried. And out of the depths of her despair, she makes God a promise in verse 11. And she vowed a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid, if you will look on my misery and suffering, if you will look and see how I look right now with my tears, how I feel right now in my heart, and if you will remember me, the word remember in Hebrew always means to act on someone's behalf. If you will see what I'm going through, the deep pain I'm in right now, and if you will act on my behalf and not forget your handmaid, the word there means to ignore or overlook what God sees right now. If you will not ignore or overlook what I know you can see right now, if you'll look at me, but you'll respond and act on my behalf and you'll give me your handmaid, a man-child, that I will give him, the child, unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. In other words, I will dedicate him as a Nazarite for his entire life. Now, that is a fascinating commitment on her part in light of the fact that just a few miles from this spot, Another child who was recently born, who God said would be a Nazarite from birth. A child who became a man that did not embrace that calling. He never made that choice for himself. I think this is why the Lord told Samson's parents that Samson would only begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Because Samuel, the Nazarite given freely, the one who did dedicate his life to the Lord, he would complete what Samson, the reluctant Nazarite, could only start. Now, Hannah certainly didn't have any of that greatness in her mind when she made her prayer, but God can take even the smallest of gifts and do massive things. Listen, don't ever despise what you perceive as a small offering to the Lord. I remember I was 17 years old and I was at church and we had our missionaries from Spain were there and And they were sharing about their needs. And they had come year after year. I'd known their sons. They would come and we were the same age and we'd hang out. And I remember the Lord so clearly said to me, Will, at that time I was working at Taco Bell. I was making $4.25 an hour. And I was still playing baseball. So I was only working like seven hours a week. So I think my paychecks were like around like 32 bucks. 
and I have a lot of money. I had to start saving up for college. I had just started dating Beverly and I had gone through Larry Burkett's financial training. I learned that when you get a job, you start putting away for an engagement ring. And so I was putting away everything for that. My point, I didn't have a lot of money. And the Lord told me, he said, Will, I want you to give $5 a month to these missionaries. Oh, Lord, $5 a month? What can $5 a month do? What can $5 a month buy? The Lord said, it'll put milk on their table. Might put a few gallons of milk on their table. You trust me what I can do with your five bucks. Just be obedient. And you know, as a young man making the choice to say, I'll be obedient to what the Lord told me to do. That small gift that I gave faithfully, over time, it was the idea of putting the Lord first in my finances. Putting the Lord first when it came to just helping somebody out when they had a need. That there wouldn't be hesitation in the future when it came and God said, I want you to do this. I want you to give to this person. Don't despise what you perceive to be as a small offering to the Lord. He can do all sorts of things with it. Now, this went on for a bit because she's crying over and over and over again. And her actions eventually catch Eli's attention. Look at verse 12. And it came to pass... As she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. He noticed her mouth. Now, Hannah, she spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. So she's continuing to pray. She's just praying this over and over. The word here to continue to pray means multiplied her prayers. She's just praying the same prayer over and over and over again, but she's not able to actually mouth the words. It's too painful. Her lips are moving, but she's just praying in her heart. Listen, her prayers are more like sighs and gulps. She probably looked like an absolute mess. But you know what? They were still prayers that God heard. I've had many moments where I couldn't even speak. I was so upset. I'm going through such a hard time. I couldn't even say the words. And sometimes they just come out as squeaks or they come out as just sighs. It's okay. God hears the words of our heart even if they don't make it to our lips because the emotional pain is too great. Don't listen to anyone who tells you that great faith is only released by spoken prayers. That's voodoo and witchcraft. That's not the Bible. God heard Hannah's prayers, we'll see shortly. But you know what? I think there's another important lesson we need to learn here because it says, therefore, Eli thought that she was drunk. He saw her mouth trembling and shaking. He observed this is going on. He thought she was drunk. You and I need to understand that everyone else doesn't need to understand the great pain I'm in when I'm going through something like this. It's okay if they don't understand. God does, and that's enough. Because Eli certainly didn't understand. Because Eli comes to her and says to her, wonderful hearing from God individual, wonderful man of God, ready to encourage his sister in the Lord. How long will you be drunken? Put away your wine from you. (laughs) How do you feel like you walk into church hurting and the pastor just rebukes you right up front? The word there, put away, he's saying, repent, woman. Now, this probably gives you a clue to what Eli's used to seeing at the tabernacle. We'll see later on in the book of 1 Samuel that his sons were sleeping with the women who had come. 
that they were eating the best part of the food and keeping it from themselves, and so much so that the people were angry and jaded when they came to the temple. He's used to dealing with bitter, angry people, frustrated people, ungodly people, compromised people. And by this point in time, Eli is a jaded old man. He's used to seeing unspiritual people doing unspiritual things, and he reacts accordingly when he sees her in such a mess. Listen, if we're living in a perverse generation or when we are living in a perverse generation, we must never allow this to happen to us. We must stop looking at people in their ugliness and see them as God sees them. Otherwise, we'll become insensitive to their true need and completely misread their lives. I've heard some of the most insensitive things being said by Christians in the last 20 years of my life. Things that I wouldn't even imagine ever coming out of a believer's mouth. We live in a generation of Christianity that has lost much. But the Bible says in James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, you who that would judge others by the law, do you not know that you'll be judged by the law? So speak you and so do you as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that is showed no mercy. James says, by the way, mercy triumphs over justice. You say, well, they deserve this. Well, I don't want what I deserve. So I don't want to give people what they deserve either. I need a whole lot of mercy and a whole lot of grace. We live in a generation of Christianity that has lost much. But unfortunately, I see a lot of bitter old Eli's running around in Christian clothing, angry that the old days are gone and ready to spit venom at anyone who even looks guilty. I don't want to become one of those. I want to see the Hannahs out there who are in need of the truth, who are hurting, who are crying out to the Lord in the midst of their pain. Now, thankfully, Hannah had the character not to repay his wrong assumption. And we need more of that in our day and age too, instead of all the victim mentalities, always looking to lash out at those who don't perfectly understand their pain. Neither of those are Christian responses. Not being an Eli and not being someone who responds to an Eli, neither of those are Christian responses. We need more Hannahs. And Hannah says to him, no, my Lord, I'm not drunk. I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. No nasty names from her. She says, no, my Lord, no, sir, a term of respect. I'm just sad. And I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Literally, it means I've drained my heart until it was empty to the Lord. Poured out everything I've got in me to him. Count not your handmaid for a daughter of Belial, an evil person. For out of the abundance of my complaint, my anguish and my grief, have I spoken hitherto. Hannah may have lived before the proverb was written in Proverbs 15, verse 1, where it says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Eli came ready to judge, ready to spit venom. A soft answer turns away wrath, Proverbs 15, 1 says, but grievous words stir up anger. She could have escalated, but instead she gave a soft answer. And it de-escalated the situation. And as a result, she gets a blessing. Look at verse 17. Well, then Eli answered and said, well, go in peace. 
I wonder when the last time Eli had been surprised by someone's dedication to the Lord. It was probably a huge blessing to him. Her soft answer melted his grumpy old heart. We should seek to do the same. Go in peace. It means go with a blessing. The God of Israel grant you your petition that you have asked of him. He didn't know what her petition was because she didn't share it. She didn't say, you mean old man? I'm trying to have kids and I can't. And my rival wife, all she does is taunt me day and night. She didn't even tell him why. He just says, well, then the Lord grant you what you're praying for. And she said, well, let your handmaid find grace in your sight. Be looked on with favor. Think of me this way then. And so the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. When she said, look on me with your favor, it could have been a request for more prayer. Just keep praying for me. It could have just been an expression of hope that Eli would always look favorably on her rather than assume the worst in the future. Whatever the reason, she's no longer sad because the high priest has blessed her. She's poured out her heart to the Lord. She's got nothing left to pour out. Verse 19. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord. And they returned and they came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. They were intimate. And the Lord did remember her. He saw her tears, saw her pain, and he did act on her behalf. Wherefore, it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son. And she called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. More importantly than Eli being nice to her and giving her a blessing in the end, God heard her prayer. And he did not forget her praying. He answered her request and she had a son. She called his name Samuel, which means someone who has asked from the Lord. Well, what two lessons does the Lord have for us from these texts for our hearts? Well, first off, I think there's a good lesson from Eli here. Do not let your heart grow cold from the evil that you see around you. Eli completely misread the situation. He's the high priest. He's supposed to be the guy who hears from God. Let's not be insensitive people whose hearts have grown cold because of the evil we see around us. And then, of course, we have the lesson from the heart of Hannah, the lady who poured out her heart completely. When you've lost hope, the best thing to do is to drain your heart out to the Lord. When you've lost hope, you see no way that it's ever going to work, no way this is ever going to go the way that you think it needs to go or the way you want it to go, that's the time to pour out your heart to the Lord. I remember I was talking to a gentleman and he was an evangelist at heart. He loved sharing his faith. But he would get so frustrated and say, well, I don't understand it. He said, I want to share my faith with people. They just don't want to listen. They just don't want to listen. I said, well, when's the last time you wept before the Lord for these people? He said, what do you mean? I've got to cry. I've got to pour out my tears before the Lord. That's That's, and I said, yeah. Why would you think you don't? You think his heart's okay with what's going on? You you think he's not weeping? You think his heart isn't broken over the loss that are ignoring everything you're trying to share with them? And don't you think if you pour your heart out to him, that that will move his heart to move on their heart? There are so many different things that our hearts can be broken over that we might see 
no hope. Well, pour out your heart to the Lord. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. And if you're in Christ, you're a righteous man, you're a righteous woman. So your prayer matters to the Lord. Amen? Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers just like you heard Hannah's. You're near to those of a broken heart. So Lord, when we are in that place of despair, we've lost hope. Lord, we commit now to be those who will drain our hearts to you, to pour them out to you, to weep before you, Lord, to ask you to move. Not because you'll hear us for our many tears because, oh, well, now you have to do something because we've wept or our hearts have been poured out. But Lord, like Hannah, when those soft sobs come of someone who's just broken and doesn't see any way, when we turn to you with that brokenness, Lord, oh, you are so near to that person. For Lord, that is your heart, always broken for us, broken over our stubbornness and sin. Lord, teach us to pour out our hearts to you rather than to lash out or to give up. And Lord, let us not become like Eli. We want to have a heart that's after yours. And Lord, your heart never becomes hard. Lord, your heart is always towards us. Your hand is always outstretched, even in judgment and discipline, because you don't want anyone to perish. So Lord, let us not give up on our generation, but let us be those who continue to persevere in love in grace and in the preaching of the truth of the gospel without compromise, loving them even as you did with us to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.